Heads up, small business leaders, you're listening to My Quest for the Best, where published experts share relevant stories for inspiration and tools for transformation to unlock your growth potential. We release a new episode every week to help you navigate your managing and leadership challenges, so subscribe to stay up to date. We're on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, and more for your convenience. Let's dive into this week's episode. author of Data Visualization Made Simple, and you're listening to My Quest for the Best. Remember the green terminal screens from the first Matrix movie, where the untrained eye could only see glyphs scrolling by, but the initiated could see rush hour professionals with umbrellas, purses, and briefcases strolling? That's the frustrating reality and tangible disadvantage of what it's like when you have insights and trends hidden in a wealth of data within your sales, support, and operations that you cannot decode. Fortunately, my next guest, Kristen Sosolsky, author of Data Visualization Made Simple and on the faculty at the Stern School of Business, shares some terrific tools and ideas for making sense of data by converting numbers into visuals. Pay particular attention to the breakdown she walks us through for the compensation example to sharpen your approach. Listen in. I'm so glad you're here. Hi, this is Bill Ringel, host of My Quest for the Best, where ambitious small business leaders discover strategies and tactics to unlock their growth potential. Joining me today is Kristen Sosolsky. Dr. Kristen Sosolsky is an associate professor at NYU's Stern School of Business, where she teaches MBA students and executives data visualization, programming, and business analytics. She's a director of the Learning Science Lab for NYU Stern, where she develops immersive online environments for business school education. As a leading expert on data visualization, Kristen regularly consults, delivers seminars, and leads workshops on data visualization techniques and best practices. Kristen's the co-author of Essentials of Online Course Design, A Standard-Based Guide, The Savvy Student's Guide to Online Learning. She's here today to help us understand some of the key points from her third book, Data Visualization Made Simple, Insights into Becoming Visual. Welcome, Kristen. Thank you, Bill. Really excited to be here. I'm glad to have you with me. Tell me, when you were growing up, who's someone who influenced or inspired you? You know, I started college when I was 17, and I immediately took these kind of communication theory classes. And Marshall McLuhan was someone who really, his work really stood out to me about how as we consume information and how the medium itself like affects like the scale or the pace by which we can actually consume and understand information and how that affects our actions and our everyday lives. And I just kind of became really enthralled by, by his theories and by this idea, the medium is the message. And it's really been something that has influenced like all my work to date. When did you encounter his work? Was it in high school? Was it in college? You know, it was my first semester in college. I started college when I was 17, and I was kind of not used to reading books about communication theory. I didn't even know what it meant. And I ended up taking this fabulous class and learned about him and Irving Goffman's work and even how like Greek philosophy tied into this idea of like communication theory and education. And it really, really fascinated me. I guess you discovered a connection to some of the things that you're so curious about and this vast body of research that already existed and how exciting it was that you got to explore this territory. Absolutely, that and then coupled with my passion for technology. And it really gave me a new way to look at technology through this lens. What was your first computer? (laughs) I 
think it was a, a micron <laughs> and I definitely used AOL. So I'm dating myself a little bit. <laughs> <laughs> so we're here to talk about data visualization. How do you define it and what businesses can use it? So I define data visualization as a process for creating data graphics. And I describe it as a process because it's a product that you're creating is the data graphic itself, the visualization. But the process is, is way more complex, right? It's working with the data, it's distilling and refining your analysis to identify insights, and then actually being able to communicate those insights through a visual medium. And this is something that, like all processes, is something that has a series of steps. And as one becomes more and more familiar with this process, they ultimately get better at it. And so the subset of my book is called Becoming Visual. And understanding that for individuals and also organizations, the process of becoming visual is something that takes time and begins with what you really want to understand and communicate out to others with regard to your data. And so organizations can use data graphics to communicate what's happening within the organization and also externally. And so it's a way to have others really understand the data without having them take the time to analyze it for themselves. And so the idea is to focus on the results rather than the actual process of the data analysis, but actually the outcomes of that and the decisions that you can make from those outcomes. So let me just break this down a little bit because I know there are people listening to this who are saying, well, I use pictures all the time in PowerPoint. That's not the kind of visualization we're talking about here. We're talking about the deep data that comes about and is enabled by the great collection of data that takes place every single day with nearly every interaction we take, whether we're taking ride on an airplane, whether we're purchasing something from Amazon, or bringing back a computer for repair. The idea is, is that there's a lot of data to be consumed inside companies as well. And this is data visualization is really what helps make that data understandable for people who aren't as close to it. Is that the idea, Kristen? That's definitely one of the ideas, right? Like another idea is that it becomes an interface that allows you to explore the data, right? So you can explore things visually and see, see, see cause and effect before your eyes rather than just looking at, you know, big, long spreadsheets without having a means or starting point. And so visualization is, in fact, an exploratory tool in addition to what you're saying, which is really a presentation tool. Right? So it's a way to present those insights and findings out to others, but it's also a way to uncover them. True. And I remember you wrote in your book that data graphics are beautiful in their own right, but worthless if they cannot help you make a decision, inform your work, or communicate a finding. Do you remember a particular event or a conversation that allowed you to come to gain an appreciation for the importance of data visualization? Uh, oh my gosh, dozens. <laughs> So, I mean, in all my work in education and technology, it's been necessary for me to make data-driven arguments. And so whether it's making a decision about how to market a new program or to change curriculum, we're always, always looking at data and being able, and usually I'm not working alone. And so being able to communicate out what I've learned say, from a marketing campaign out to the, the key stakeholders to say, hey, we need to be doing more, and this is where. 
and be able to show that through trends and patterns of a marketing campaign over time and where things were successful and where they weren't. And we can see that by simply the height of the line on a time period graph, for instance. And so being able to point to these different events and then have evidence to show what happened during these different time periods is super powerful and allows for a different kind of conversation. Uh, rather than one that's filled with anecdotes or what we think we should do, it becomes clear what we should do by looking at the data and seeing where things are successful and where things went awry. That's interesting that you brought up anecdotes because one of the key parts that you write about in the book is telling stories is a key application of data visualization. And the three functions you talk about are highlighting behaviors, revealing similarities and differences, and displaying locations. That's something where data visualizations informs the stories and the stories actually come about as a result of understanding, analyzing, and then interpreting the data. How is it that someone who has this data could use that in order to make a more compelling case? Do you remember someone you've worked with either as a student or as a business consult using that in a compelling way? Sure. So let's take like the, the topic of real estate. And if we're looking to solicit investors for our new real estate app that's going to identify points in which there are market opportunities to buy housing possibly below market value or at a price that is fair and competitive and that will definitely appreciate, how could we make this argument? Well, we can talk about it. Or I can show you other use cases of other neighborhoods in which the same phenomena has occurred. And to be able to show that on a map visually, the say the increase in home sale prices over time. And so to be able to show that as an animation by neighborhood. And then what you'll see there is the density and the growth and the change of the home sales, let's say, over time. And so being able to just clearly show that and then show that same type of thinking for a new neighborhood in the form of a prediction can be very, very powerful. Well, one of the things I really loved about your book, which is really practitioner's guidebook as much as anything, is your design choice in incorporating so many interviews and examples of professionals working in small businesses and corporate offices using data visualization tools and practices. One area that struck me in particular was how HR can use data visualization, where I think it's greatly underused today, because it has so many opportunities for data visualization. Let's think about this use, which is similar to what you talked about with um, Samantha Feldman at Grace Scalable, where she had a large group of employees and she was looking to show that her company offered salaries that were highly competitive compared to the industry. If a company has a policy that says, we pay in the top 25% range for positions in an industry, what insights and guidelines would you offer the vice president of HR let's make up a name, we'll call her Megan, to validate that the compensation for her company ranges are congruent between the company's policies, the company compensation plan, and the rest of the industry. How would they approach thinking about that and then using data visualization to make that argument? We want to think about what the key message is, right? So you want to see where in which we are um, within the industry range and where we're exceeding it, right? Those are the two things. And then we want to also highlight, you know, if there are any job functions in particular that were below that range and that we want to be able to take action. 
and make sure that the compensation is in line with at least the market. So we're looking at like something that we say, you know, maybe below range, within range, and then above range. So we're looking at those three metrics. And we want to look at that across all job functions, across all bands, across all levels within an organization. And so first we want to, you know, we can look at this in various lenses. We can look at it by, like I said, by different job functions. Or we can also look at it by gender, by race, by age, by all different demographics and do that type of comparative analysis. And so what we want to do is we want to show the density of job functions that are, you know, within our range. And then that would be kind of a box in the center. So if you're picturing like a horizontal box plot, anybody that would fall within within the range would be within those boxes in the center band. And then to the right would be those job functions that are above range. And then to the left of that box would be all those jobs that are below the range. And so you'd be able to clearly see kind of where you stand. And if you're making the case that, you know, where our company really exceeds the market standard on these particular dimensions, like salary, like benefits, and then you'd be able to show that by highlighting what's happening to the right of those different um, boxes or bands. And there may be one or several visualizations, you'd be able to summarize and show actionable information where maybe a company of someone who's listening has very competitive values at the mid-range, but is really below industry standards at the top range of the scale. And you don't know that until you start putting these things into a visualization chart. Isn't that really a quick way to analyze and assess whether you're the rubber meets the road where you expect it to. Absolutely. It makes the next step concrete, right? So you can see where we are below range and where this is now an action item for the company to take on if that meets their core values. I think it's important for every business owner listening, if they're thinking about hiring in a competitive job market and they're going to make a statement that they're hiring at a range that's competitive with the rest of the industry, this needs to be something that's an analysis that's performed so that you could really back it up with data. And I think that this is a tool that many people in many aspects of a small business would find useful for exactly that reason. You also say that you shouldn't make your audience work too hard. When is that important to consider with data visualization? It's a great question. When you're presenting you know, a slide presentation to your audience, any kind of presentation, and you're using visuals, there's a few things that you want to consider. First, you want to make sure that what you show is readable. And so literally, I don't want the audience working too hard. I don't want them squinting. If you can't read the x-axis or the y-axis or the title, the chart, or the legend, for example, then you as a designer have made a big mistake. And that's something that's really, really easy to correct. And it's something that should never happen, right? So that's one thing. The second thing is that you want to make sure that anytime you're showing a data graphic on the screen, that you actually explain what the encodings mean. You don't just show a data graphic and not reference it. I see this all too often in my work, right? So we've created this beautiful data graphic, and then we're talking about something entirely different, or that might reference the graphic ever so slightly. If it's front and center in the room, what the presenter is saying needs to kind of match what's being shown on the screen. And we want to make sure that the presenter is walking the audience through the data graphic. First, by by talking about what the encodings mean. What are the dots or bubbles or bars or lines? What do they represent? What's the time dimension or scale? What's the level of green that you're showing of the data? Am I showing you uh, data every dot represents a year? Or does every dot represent a minute? 
And that's what I mean by the grain of the data. Where do the data come from? Explain your source of the data. Uh, you want to also make sure that you're building trust with your audience and showing them that the data comes from a reputable source. And so, again, not making your audience work too hard, thinking about these things. You want to make sure that your graphic is really visible, really readable, and that the insight is clear. And you make the insight clear by walking the audience and there's some techniques for that. So you can use progressive disclosure. You can start by building out the data graphics, starting with the first bar, and the second bar, and the third bar, and say a bar chart, rather than showing it all at once. Because we don't want to overwhelm the audience. And when you do these kind of slow builds, or what I call progressive disclosure, you're taking the time to explain to your audience what the data graphic means in real life. And this is really important because if you think about how we are as humans and how we remember things, we're not going to remember something that somebody just like told us in four seconds. But if somebody walks us through something and explains, maybe even gets our input or our reactions to what we're showing, then you're developing an engaged audience with your presentation and your story. That's super useful. I hope that everyone listening takes that to heart and really applies that starting the very next time they present to a group. It's important to use data visualization because it also helps make a persuasive case. Can you talk more about how data visualization can help someone who's looking at the data persuade others that taking a certain course of action will be useful because it's backed up by data? Do you have an example that comes to mind when I talk about that that you can share with us? Absolutely. And so if we think about something we've heard about uh, A-B testing, and if you think about, you know, you want to test the effectiveness of one marketing campaign over the next, how do you know which one works better? We don't know unless we've identified metrics of success and maybe metrics of success might be click-through rates or they might actually be conversion. Whatever your metric of success is, is what you want to look at. And how could we show, say, the number of conversions by day? And we can certainly show that by using a line graph. We're on the x-axis, we show the day, and on the y-axis, we show the number of conversions. And that's just simply a count, right? And we see that count change over time for campaign A versus campaign B. And it's very easy at the end of a week, two weeks, five weeks, to evaluate and compare the two and show which one was more effective according to the metric of interest. And showing that data graphic as evidence is the way to persuade. So this is, you know, primary source data that you've collected about the effectiveness of your campaign. And then presenting that as a chart to actually show that change and which campaign performed or outperformed the other campaign. And that's very, very clear. If there was a difference at all, sometimes there isn't a, a remarkable difference because ideally you're just comparing one change between campaigns. Maybe it's the color orange of the final submit button on the order form. And it turns out there might not be a significant change. And in other cases, there might be a significant change. Isn't that sometimes the case? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And just because you've collected data about it doesn't mean that, right, that there's actually going to be a change. And this is also something that is notable to show to say, look, you know, when we're doing these experiments, I think the types of changes that we're making aren't really having any impact. So now what's our course of action? Should we continue to do this A-B style in our marketing campaign? What other things should we be trying if we want to meet, let's say, our target number of conversions, which is going to be 10% of what they are today? 
a 10% increase. So again, this all has to do with the metrics and the, the variables of interest, because a lot of things are interesting to look at when we have data. But to make them persuasive, we need to be talking the same language as the stakeholders and understand what they think is going to be important. One of the uses of data visualization to make arguments, I think, is also to shut down conversations and exploration to show that maybe things don't make a difference and to really focus on things that do make a difference because time matters and we don't all have unlimited resources to explore things indefinitely. I like to think of A-B testing as not just limited to two tests, but maybe you're looking at 10 different variations, finding the winner, and then putting a lot of resources behind the one or two best performers in a group. Does that also resonate with your experience? Oh my gosh, absolutely, absolutely. And this is where the use of dashboarding works really well. And so dashboards are visual interfaces that bring in your data and that are designed to show you these different comparative measures. And so then you can be checking in on these different metrics through a visual interface on a daily basis, on a minute-by-minute basis, or an hourly basis. And so the idea there is for you to clearly see the cause and effect. And it's not just one or two variables, but, you know, 10 or 15 different variables at once and be able to see those that, that have an impact and, and those that really don't. I think that one example of some uh, startup that has really brought a lot of attention to an industry, a startup industry, a disruptive industry, are scooters. Many people think that scooter companies just started up last year, but really they've been around for five or six years. But in 2017, there were at least a dozen startups that were operating in U.S. cities. And last July, Uber and Alphabet invested serious money in Lime, one of those companies, $335 million. And their competitors have also raised hundreds of millions of dollars based on billion-dollar-plus valuations. Now, if that wasn't enough, South Park also made an episode about electric scooters, so we know that it's real. Did you happen to catch that? I didn't, actually. (laughs) So this is something that really has caught the culture's attention. Lime has, as of six months ago, I read an article where they had about 1,000 scooters in 65 U.S. cities and five European cities and had 6 million rides of experience. So people come up to a scooter and they log in with the app. They say, I'm taking the scooter for a ride. When they get to where they're going, they park the scooter and then say to the app, I am done with my ride, and it then charges their credit card that they've entered as part of their account. So they pay by the ride, pick up and leave the scooters as needed. Given the high stakes involved in the launch and the operations, there's an opportunity for data visualization to offer actionable insights. What would you say could be some of the gaps that could be explored with data visualization between what companies thought early on before they had a lot of data and post-launch, now that they've actually got usage data? What would you encourage the owners and investors and stakeholders of a company to use data visualization for in order to guide the next set of directions in the company? Oh my gosh, what a great question and what an amazing case study. I'd love to have it in my book. (laughs) Next edition. (laughs) Next edition, next edition, yeah. So I mean, gosh, there's so many things to explore with this type of data. Number one, right, you're getting location data. So you're able to see kind of like, the the usage by location, right? And so these are standard things that, of course, you'd be looking at knowing usage by location, and you can see what areas are most popular or least popular. You might be surprised by some of this, right? And so you may want to 
Think about uh, rebalancing the load or rebalancing the inventory of your scooters by different locations. Maybe you thought universities were going to be the most popular uh, areas for scooters and your kind of your suppositions were wrong, right? So universities, people are just mostly walking and it's, it's there's really no place to park the scooters, let's say. But out in say, other areas where there isn't as much more like sprawling uh, neighborhoods where convenience stores and other things aren't really close by, that's where you see like really high scooter usage. And so um, understanding that, understanding uh, where to kind of reposition and rebalance the, the inventory, you may also understand that not only by location, but time of day. You may also want to look at this by by weather, right? So we know what do we do when it snows? Where are there extra areas for say storage of these scooters so they stay protected during some inclement weather, right? So you might have some underground parking garages that you're that you're partnering with for these scooter rentals, and you know that you have extra space or capacity to store during during some inclement weather, for instance. Um, you may also notice that. The, the duration by which people are renting these scooters is longer than anticipated, or it's maybe shorter than anticipated. So what can you do to encourage more riding of the scooters? Maybe it's having some other parking stations that, that are available within the distances that they would normally drop off or something like that. So, I mean, I think there's like tremendous amounts of questions that you can be asking. You can learn a lot more about your customers, right? So you have you have information about them, probably like who they are. You might have their gender. You might have some other information about where they live or where they work. And so this could also lead to partnerships with other organizations around, you know, scooter usage and rentals. And imagine even including scooters in a transit reimbursement plan for your HR company. You notice that many of your employees or, or employees of certain companies are actually using scooters. Uh, imagine including those rentals as, as something that can be a tax-free reimbursement, let's say, for, for a company. So these are just some like really, really quick ideas that came up top of my head. I mean, these are all things that you can like certainly show. And because you have you have the beauty of like location and at every point on a map is a location of a scooter and somebody riding a scooter in a point of time. We can then color those points by some other information. Let's say uh, it can be anything from their gender, it can be some demographic information, and it can also be like where they're headed in terms of like clustering by neighborhood. So lots of different things that we can show and, and tell with this type of data. Absolutely. It's just so exciting to imagine that data and then imagine the different pivot tables that could be created based upon users versus usage. One of the things that I always laughed about when I, I first read about this was all the scooters have GPS in them, of course, and imagining some of the managers looking out when scooters suddenly exceeded the ride limit within a certain city, or since many of them were based in San Diego, suddenly seeing scooters that were vandalized by people appearing where they shouldn't be, like a couple hundred feet into the ocean. That would be a bad thing to see, but you're on top of it because of the data visualization. <laughs> oh, absolutely. I mean, the identification of, say, missing scooters, those types of things. Absolutely. You can actually see where, where those, you kind of have this like lens of looking at like, where are my scooters now? So yeah, that's a really great point. So are you ready for the My Quest for the Best lightning round, Kristen? I can't wait. All right. So one or two of the key components of your routine for daily success. Wow. Preparation. <laughs> Definitely preparation and also making sure that I am not only prepared, but I'm practiced. And those two things are, I, I see as quite different. And what did, would you say is the easiest or least expensive change 
you've made in your personal or professional life in the last six months that's had the biggest payoff? I would say that looking at things always for the positive first. And what would you say is the best advice you've ever received? The best advice that I ever received, this one's actually very easy for me to answer, is always take the time to reflect on what you know and you don't know in any situation and be honest about it. So the idea there is that if I'm working with, with a new data set or if I'm you know, having a conversation with a student or a colleague or an executive, being really clear in my mind what I know about a particular phenomena and what things are still left for me to learn more about. And being really honest about that. And I use that practice all the time with my students. So really recognizing that we don't know it all. And just because we can Google it doesn't give us that real depth of knowledge. And so I believe that it takes like 10 years or more to become an expert in anything. And so to be humble about your level of expertise in any one subject. That's great. It really makes me think of something that I've read in your book also. There was someone who did a case study on whether a startup the success of a startup could be predicted with a personality assessment, the ocean assessment. Yes. Can you walk through the highlights of that and then share what some of the findings were? Well, this was a case study uh, written in a book by a company called uh, Angel. And the question that really drove the design of this case study and their work really, you know, can we predict startup success? And are there predictor metrics that can be used as input into this prediction? And so usually there are some metrics like, you know, where did the founder go to school or something like that? Or what's their potential for raising money? Have they raised money before? Have they had successful startups in the past? Um, but there's other ways in which that uh, startup success can be looked at more holistically. And that's by looking at the components of a team. And so the company's hypothesis was all around what were other factors that can uh, be input into this prediction and give confidence to VCs, uh, venture capitalists, in making a choice between uh, one startup to invest in over another. And what they studied was how personality attributes of the team and having complementary and overlapping personality attributes actually can contribute to the success of a team. Things like trust and honesty and other personality attributes in terms of like, you know, uh, anxiety, orderliness, uh, sympathy agreeableness, and being able to look at those attributes just as you would if you're putting together, if you were comparing, you know, players on a team, on a basketball team, on a baseball team, picture them being overlaid over one another according to these different attributes. And you'd be able to see using a radar chart, which is what Angel used, to see these overlapping characteristics of the team members and the ones that were different. Now you have kind of a more of a holistic picture of the team and how these particular personality attributes actually are correlated with the degree of funding that these types of attributes uh, generally receive in the VC world. There's so many different uses for data visualization. What advice would you give for business leaders who are thinking of learning more about it, applying it further in their business, and taking a few more steps in adopting data visualization as a way of understanding and presenting information in their business? I'd say for business owners, business leaders, managers, the important thing is like, how do you establish a data practice in your organization? And what role is visualization going to play in that data practice? 
So things like ensuring that your employees and your team have the skills to not only analyze and work with data, but also to present it and to present their findings and to be able to identify influencers within the organization that, that can do that and model that type of behavior. Because visualization is not just a skill for one person. It's really something that you want to incorporate as a way of communication. Just like we write memos and emails, visualization is a, a form of communication within an organization around the data that we work with on a day-to-day basis. And so it's really not only establishing a data practice, but it's establishing a data visualization practice within an organization. Lots of ways to do this, right? You can do this through training. You can do this through modeling, through leadership. But it really all starts with understanding what your data represents in the real world and how you as an organization use data to make decisions. So that second step of positioning the organization as one that's data-driven, one that uses data to inform action. And when we use data to inform action, how do we communicate those data that we're using to inform action? We can do that through data graphics to show how, how things have been trending and changing over time and showing where action might be needed or none at all. And there, we build persuasive arguments, we build trust with the organization, and we also build understanding about what's going on in a really, really deep way, but without having every single person have to analyze the data for themselves to understand it. We use graphics as a way to get everybody on the same page and level the playing field and to allow those who are experts into the data to also be working with others that aren't so expert, but can also communicate at the same levels of understanding in terms of what the data means in the real world and the impact for the organization. Well, Kristen, you have shared such great insights with us on my quest for the best today. It's so clear that Marshall McLuhan was an influential person in your life because data visualization is about the medium and the message. You shared with us how important it is to use data to make data-driven arguments and how in your experience in your professional life, that was something that you grew up understanding and appreciating at every level. We talked about the example with real estate and how it's important to be able to look where the opportunities are and whether things are undervalued or overvalued and how the data visualization can reveal those trends. We talked about HR compensation and building those box plots to be able to see where particular roles in your company were um, compensating above or below industry averages, how sharing data graphics help reference and explain what's going on within data that takes place within a company or within an industry or experiments, and how it's important to take time to explain and allow people to digest much as someone would presenting a meal at a, a fancy restaurant. You don't put all the food out at once because people would you know, not be able to appreciate it as much. But to reveal it a slide at a time through progressive disclosure and take the time to put it in context, that's what makes the difference. We highlighted the importance of dashboards and being able to talk about looking at different factors that are going on and testing that way and about the scooter example so that we could break down position, users, and actual usage and where the gaps might exist between what people predicted would happen and what actually happened. You talked about one of your important success factors of preparation and practice, and then also for people who are starting to think and adopt more about data visualization, you talked about how important it is to really find people, define the role that data visualization is gonna play, and make sure that it's really incorporated in the practice and it's not just a one-off thing. So for all these reasons, I thank you so much for joining me on my quest for the best. Bill, thank you so much. This is really enjoyable. I really appreciate your time. 
Kristen, when people want to find out more about you and your work, where should they go? Definitely feel free to connect with me on Twitter. It's just my last name at Sosolsky, S-O-S-U-L-S-K-I. You can feel free to join my newsletter on my website, kristensosolsky.com. You can also find my book, Data Visualization Made Simple, at Amazon. Thanks again so much, Kristen. Thank you. Hi, this is Bill, and I hope you've enjoyed this podcast interview on my quest for the best. Be sure to subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, Stitcher, or your favorite app, so you never miss an episode full of stories, tips, and insights for the ambitious small business leader. Now I have a quick request for you. Please go to Apple Podcasts and iTunes and give us a rating and review. My team and I really appreciate the feedback, and we read every comment to find out what you enjoy and what you want as we develop new content, course materials, and a few surprises that we have in store for you. When you rate and review my quest for the best, you help other small business leaders find us, subscribe to the podcast, and join the community. You can get the Insider's e-newsletter for small business leaders by going to myquestforthebest.com. We have chosen a challenging path to make a living and make a difference in the world, and I believe it's important to share top-notch resources with each other, which is why you'll find new episodes from top thought leaders and small business experts on My Quest for the Best each week. Thanks for listening and being part of the community. See you on the next episode.